0: Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, uh, get a Bible, Genesis 3. So it's three or four pages in at the very front of your Bible, Genesis chapter 3. If you're watching from home, welcome. Get a Bible in front of you as well. And uh, as you turn there, I want to start with a game. You up for a game? All right. uh, Name that tune. Ready? It's going to be a tough one. Here we go. much more than this, I did it my All right, name of the song? Yeah, real tough, right? Singer? Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. I start with that little uh, song over us because that's the anthem of the scene we're about to study here today. Uh, As we unpack Genesis chapter 1, we looked at God as creator, Uh, and and we said that uh, this world, this is the Lord's, this is all the Lord's, and if this is God's world, then we are to operate by God's ways. And now we get just three chapters in. We get right in the beginning of human history, and we see that uh, the very first human beings shatter that reality. Uh, The created ones believe that they know better than the creator, and they say that I think I'm going to do things my way instead of God's way. And today, sin enters the world. And sin unleashes, as we see here in Genesis chapter 3, brokenness and pain and chaos and death. And these things always accompany sin. Here's the flat-out truth. Sin stinks. It does. It never makes life better. It never makes life easier. It never makes life less painful. It never makes life less complicated. Sin is rebellion, It's rebelling against the perfectly loving Father who literally sent His Son to die for us. Sin is rebelling against the perfect Creator who made us to enjoy in holiness this creation that He made. So here's the question. If it brings pain and suffering and chaos and complication, why in the world do we sin? Why do we choose the path of rebellion? Why do we choose the path of pain? And that's such an important question because we come to church and we sit in this and we're like, yeah, I know. I know that's what sin does. I know sin's a path of just, ugh. And yet it's so hard as we walk out of here. And so to understand the beginning of that answer, like why why is this still a part of our life? Um, We need to look at the very beginning of sin. We look back thousands and thousands of years to a scene in a garden here today to understand a few things. How did sin originate? How in the world did we get into this cursed mess anyway? We have to look at how does sin work? Um, We're going to see in the account of the very first act of sin today how sin works. We'll see the progression of it. We'll see how that tempter tempts. And most hopefully important today, we will see how sin is defeated. We'll see the first glimpse of the gospel today. Uh, You know, popular in weddings now, the the picture of the bride and the groom, the first look. We get the first glimpse of the gospel three chapters in to the Bible, and we're going to rejoice in that first glimpse at the good news message of what God in Christ has done for us, and we are going to rejoice, y'all, And this is so crucial. Listen, today is crucial. Today is crucial. Today is crucial. Today must change us. We cannot walk out of here today unchanged. This is a message today of action. If you are not a Christian, if you're uh, not a follower of Jesus, today must change you. I've been praying this week that you must lovingly be confronted with your rebellion against God and you must receive today the grace God offers to you through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray between now and when I'm done 30 minutes from now, that is clear to you and you understand how you can know Jesus Christ today. If you are a Christian today, you must walk out of here with a greater disdain and abhorrence for our sin. We gotta hate it we got to abhor it. Even those little sins in our life that we grow comfortable with just being around. What do I mean? Sin always kills something. Even those little sins we're comfortable with. The little morsel of sinful, whispering gossip, it kills deep transparency in friendships. The sinful, passive-aggressive, undermining comments of anger kills a spirit of love in a home. Sinful acts of disobedience to parents and small things kills for a time a culture of peace. Little lustful glances of sin kills for a moment the deep joy of intimacy with the spouse who's a gracious gift from God. Satan hates you. And he has designed sin to entice you so that he can create pain and kill what God made to be received with life-giving joy. So, here's the deal. Today's not going to be 30 minutes of uh, preacher heaping shame on us. No, the greatest way we abhor the ugliness of our sin is by gazing on the beauty of the Savior. If this is 30 minutes of shame heaping, here's the deal. That'll work till Tuesday. Maybe Monday night. But that has no power. What we have to see today is the glory of the goodness of Jesus. And he's got to be so beautiful in our sight that we're like, that's so ugly. I'm running away because that is so good. That's what we're after today. And we're going to see. We're going to see Jesus in Genesis chapter 3. The head crushing Savior that He is, I can't wait to get there. You with me? And so all all the way through Genesis three today, I'm going to get pretty worked up. I warn you in advance. Um, And here's how I want to kind of structure our 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 walk through this chapter. Uh, I'm calling it five words. Five words we need to understand about sin. So these are the mile markers we're going to stop at as we make our way through. Five words we need to understand about sin. Um, if you're a note taker, I, uh, I would encourage you to make each of these words a heading in your notes and take notes under each of these words. Um, as we make our way through Genesis 3, we're going to see the story of how sin enters the world. And as we walk through the story, I want us to have in our mind James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Uh, James 1, 14 and 15 are like, the spot-on principle for the story that we're going to walk through. And here's what it says. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's what we're going to see in Genesis 3, and it's what we see when we bite on the fruit of sin in our own life. And so, this is where we're going today. Lord, help us. We are sinful people. Our enemy wants to distract us from this message. Jesus, show yourself so gloriously good to us that we walk out of here a sermon on sin, rejoicing over the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Word number one, temptation. The first word we need to understand about sin is temptation. Genesis 3, verse 1, now, the serpent was more what? What's the word it uses? Was more what? The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. I just want to pause there and I want us to understand uh, where the root of temptation comes from. Temptation comes from the tempter, Satan, masquerading here as a serpent. He is the crafty liar. I hate him. I hate him with a passion. Because he hates me, and he hates my wife, and he hates our kids, and he hates you. And he will go to great lengths to be the crafty little liar that he is, to rob us of the joy that God intended us to live with. Temptation starts at its source, the crafty lying tempter. Now, how does he go about doing his crafty little tempting? We see it here so clearly. Keep reading. He said to the woman, did God actually say... evil. Right here, it's so clear. It's clear in Genesis 3. It's clear with the temptation that's coming in our life this week. How does the tempter go about tempting? Here it is. The tempter is always attacking God's word and God's character. Every temptation, this is his ploy We have to be attuned as believers to know he's always gonna go after the authority of the word of God. He's always going to go after the character of God. How do we see that here? Look back in your Bibles. He said to the woman, did God actually say? Later on, he says, no, 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 yeah, God said, no, you won't die. He is undermining what God has said. And the tempter will always try to undermine what God says. This is the beginning of all temptation. He's always trying to undermine the authority of God's word. How does it work in real life? Here it is. We know we shouldn't gossip. The tempter says, no, 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 no. This isn't gossip. This person needs to know that. Tell them that. So they can be be praying. How much gossip is cloaked in prayer requests? Mm, Just burden, just burden for her, just burden for him. Can I share something with you? They need to know this. And, and, and yeah, you might not know if it's all fully true, but sharing it with this person will help clarify what might be true or not. It's the lying little crafty serpent. Uh, uh, it's like this. We know, hey, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know, don't lie, right? I know. But in this case, the truth would be so painful to that person. So cloud it a little. Pull it back a little. If you love them, you won't put the full weight of that truth on them. It's what he does. He's a crafty little liar. And his head's going to get stomped. It's beautiful. Um, This is who he is. This is what he does. He's a liar constantly attacking the authority of what God said. But that's not all he's attacking here. That's not all he's attacking. He'll always try to attack the word of God, what God said. He'll always try to attack the character of God. Look at where we see that. Uh, Look at verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. What's he telling them? God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. I really know this good or this pleasure that you could be enjoying. God doesn't want you to know that. God's holding out on you. It's a direct attack on the goodness of our God. How does it play out in real life? You're suffering right now. You're, you're in the deepest suffering. You're in the pit of the deepest suffering you've ever experienced in your life. The tempter comes in and he says, are you sure God's loving? Kind of a funny way to show it, isn't it? I mean, if he loved you, would, would you inflict this kind of suffering on someone you love? Or, or may, maybe he is the loving God that you believe him to be. Maybe he's not the powerful God because if he was powerful enough to stop this suffering why didn't he stop it it is an affront an attack on the character of our god this is the source of all temptation an attack on the word of god or an attack on the character of god And we have to see it. We have to know it. So what is he doing when he tempts, when he attacks God's word and God's character? Here's what he's doing. He's fashioning a lure right in front of us. And this lure is designed to attack our weaknesses. And he wants us to bite on this lure. He's begging us to bite on this lure to our own demise. So how do we fight in the foxhole of temptation, under a barrage of lies from the enemy, we fight with a rocket launcher of truth. We must know the truth about who God is and what God's word says. We must get in the word and get God's word into us. We gotta be word people, y'all. We have to be word people. Literally life and, and the vitality of a life with Jesus depends on us being in God's word and getting God's word into us. Look at what the word of God says about the word of God. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is Psalm 119:11 I have stored up your word in my heart. What happens when we're word stores in our heart? That I might not sin against you. Psalm 119:105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, Ephesians 6:17 And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. We got to be word people. Do you have a wartime mentality for your Bible study? Do you study and meditate on it with a conviction that there is so much at stake over this? Not one-page coffee table devotional. Mmm, I feel good. If you're confused about where I stand on coffee table devotionals, that might have cleared it up not a coffee table one page devotional that allows us to check the devotional box of our conscience. And listen, if you need help, if you need help growing as a word person, if you open this and you're like I want to be a word person. I'm I'm in Levi tickets and I have no idea what's happening right now. <laughs> so I flipped to Job and I'm just lost. <laughs> If you're, this is where we all start. This is where we all start as word people. And God in his goodness, he brings this older, mature, wisdom person around us and said, can we, can we study that together? If you're like, I need to study it together person, info at RedeemerBible.Church. Email it. Info at RedeemerBible.Church. Say, I need a word person. Part of our responsibility is to get word people into your life to walk with you to disciple you on how to study the Word of God, and we're committed to it. We gotta be Word people. We gotta get in His Word. We gotta get His Word into us. It's how we fight the lies of the crafty tempter. Now, so temptation. What happens when we don't head it off at temptation? The second word action. We bite, we act. We act on the sin. How does this play out in the Genesis account? Pick it up with me in verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin claws. So the serpent's come, he's fashioned the lure with his lies, and he dangles it there before Eve, and both Eve and Adam bite, literally. And with one quick act of teeth sinking into fruit, human. History will be forever changed. Human history is forever plagued. This is the original sin. An original sin has plagued all of us born and sitting in this room right now. Sin enters the world. Pain is now a reality. Brokenness will be present. Death will punctuate this life on earth. Anything you have ever read in a newspaper or scrolled and seen on social media that has sent a shiver up your spine because of the pure evil nature of it, it's traced back to this moment right here. All of the sin that you know too well in your own heart that you're like, I'm sick of it, I'm tired of it, all of it traces back to this point right here and look how the action happened. She said, that looks good and God's holding out on us. I'm just going to take one little bite and hear, husband, you do too. And with one little bite from the first man and the first woman comes massive, massive brokenness. And the moment they bite, they know immediately things are different. It says their eyes are opened, they see their nakedness, They sow fig leaves to cover themselves. The moment sin happens, innocence is lost. And all of us here know the pain of having taken the bites of sin as well. We we know when we act and when the innocence is lost. The vocal outburst of anger that leaves kids with tears welling up in their eyes and fear, innocence lost. An underhanded practice at work that leaves a pit in the stomach going, I can't believe I just operated in a way that I said I would never, ever do. Innocence lost. The harboring of bitterness and unforgiveness that's unleashing poison in you and out of you to the people closest to you. Innocence lost. When the action of sin happens, innocence is lost. Pain is unleashed. Chaos ensues. Death seeks to reign us in this room know it we know it personally and this is why the next word is so important because all of us in here there's not one sinless person sitting in this room today all of us will step back into the trap of sin before we gather here next sunday so this third word reaction is really important what happens after the action of sin? How are, to, how are we to respond as Jesus people after we've bitten? What is to happen next? Look, if you will at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, you tell me what they do, they hid. the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, two clear things we see here. Two things that are so important for us to understand about the reaction after sin. What we'll naturally want to do after we've sinned, or what Adam and Eve do here, it's in our nature. We want to hide and we want to blame. What we'll want to do, our reaction to sin will want to be to hide and to blame. And Look at the hiding. Look at the hiding. Look at the how irrational this is. The Lord comes they hear and like playing hide and seek with a 2-year-old whose feet are sticking out behind the coffee table. They're hiding from the creator of the universe. He's like I spoke that tree into existence. And then, like playing hide and seek with a two-year-old, the Lord to draw out their heart, not because he doesn't know where they are. He says, where are you? And if you've played with your kids, here. He says, I'm hiding from you. Sin always makes us want to hide from the presence of the Lord. He's drawing out their heart when he asks, where are you? What has happened that now makes you want to hide from my presence of holiness? What has happened that makes you want to run from my voice, the voice of your maker? Sin always makes us want to hide. Instead of pressing into the grace of God and letting his loving kindness lead us to repentance, we distance from him. We distance from his word. We distance from his people. And that response of distancing, of hiding, only breeds more pain and despair in the long run. It makes us want to deny it, makes us want to downplay it, and we want to hide. Sin also makes us want to blame. The Lord says, what happened? He asked Adam. Adam, what happened? She did it. Eve, what happened? The serpent. It's his fault. Sin always makes us want to point the finger at other people in our flesh, an unbiblical response to it. Our tendency in the flesh will be to excuse or to minimize or point the fingers. We we say things like, yeah, I know I shouldn't have said that, but. I know, I know, I know I shouldn't have done that, but. And this will sound kind of funny, but I pray that it sticks in our minds. There are no buts in biblical confession. There are no buts in biblical confession. So instead of what we'll want to do of hiding and blaming, here's what we need to do. We need to confess and we need to own it. Confess and own it. Confess. Here it is, Lord. Here it is, loved ones. I'm bringing it to the light. I'm setting it right there on the table. I don't want to see it grow in the dark one day longer. Here it is in all its ugliness so God's grace can go to work on it in all his beauty. There it is. Own it. Call it what God calls it. It's my sin. No one could force me to do that. My own desire drug me away into that. I own it. We confess it and we own it. And I just want to look at us as a church and I just want to say, come on, y'all, right now, today, revival starts in our hearts as we confess and own what we need to confess and own. No more hiding it, no more letting it grow in the dark, no more pointing the fingers and blaming everyone else. In your small group, there's a time for accountability where, we are, where there's a safe but not soft place for us weekly to get together and confess and own. And we gotta up the ante as Jesus people in that confession time. We have to say, here's what's going on. Here's what I need to lay before you. Here's what I need you to speak loving, hard truths into my life about, and we got to lay it before there. If you're like, I am tormented right now by the thought of confessing this, we have a lifeline for you. Email today, soulcare at redeemerbible.church. We will get down into that pit with you. We will walk with you through this. We will hold your hand, and together we will see Jesus triumph over the sin. But don't go, don't go away and just keep it, keep it in its closet and just letting it grow. Let's act today. Let's bring it to the light. And this action and reaction, it ties closely with this next word. Word number four is this, consequences. There are consequences for sin And I'm going to argue on this point that they are God's gracious gifts to us. The consequences. Look what happens in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, in dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, we're coming, oh, we're getting so close now. It's going to be good. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise or crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel the serpent gets cursed, and a descendant from Adam and Eve is going to rise up, and is going to crush his head one day, and that head-crushing Savior is the King Jesus Christ. His heel was bruised on the cross, but King Jesus crushes Satan's head when he rises from the dead, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will one day come back to make a new heaven and a new earth in which Satan is fully and finally defeated. Are you ready for that? If you ain't ready after 2020, you ain't ready. <laughs> we long for that. For the head-crushing king to come have his way fully and finally, and one day he will. To the woman he said, verse 16, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you, you shall bring forth children Your desire shall be for your husband. Footnote, bottom of your page, or against. Your desire shall be against your husband, and he shall rule over you. Consequences here. Pain of childbearing, pretty self-explanatory. Your desire will be against your husband. Where does the tension in a marriage come from? I know he's supposed to be the spiritual leader, but man, I think I'd do a lot better job of it that tension, and that uh, I, I don't want to come under the spiritual authority there. It's part, I trace it all the way back to Genesis 3. To the man, he says, to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The, cur- you, the man you will now work cursed ground. You will work of it by the sweat of your brow. You will deal with the thorns and thistles of it. It's just part of the nature of the fall, of the brokenness of the fall. And we see here gracious consequences of God. Gracious what? How is this gracious? Consequences never feel gracious. Consequences for our sin are gracious gifts from God in that they're teachers that make us and remind us never to want to go down the path that does not bring God glory and is not ultimately for our good. The pain of consequences makes us want to run with greater intensity away from the sin that causes all that pain and towards the goodness of the Savior. And God is gracious to us and his consequences to remind us this is not the path to greater life. Now, to the final word. A word that we've just, uh, after all we have just climbed through, is music to our ears. A word after we've been confronted with our sinfulness gives us hope. It gives us hope. And word number five is this. It's grace. How good is it to to hear that word? Look at God's grace practically as Genesis chapter 3 comes to a close. Verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. That's significant. Verse 22 Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed uh, placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. How do we see practically means of God's grace right here? Two ways. The exile out of the garden and the covering God provides for Adam and Eve. And you're like, how in the world is exiled from the garden a means of grace? God says, lest they reach out their hand and eat of the tree of life and live forever. He says, I don't want my kids living forever in a broken state and as broken people. The exile from the garden is God protecting and God making a way of redemption for us to one day be able to live forever perfectly in his presence. It's a means of his grace. And now how about the covering? Remember what God had said if they ate of the tree. He says, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And you read this and you go, they didn't die. I thought he said the day they eat of it, They will surely die. Be certain of this. Death did begin in their body that day. Up to this point, their body knew nothing of a slow path to death. Death begins in their body that day. But I want you to see something. Another death happens that day. Another dies that day. An animal is slain in order to cover Adam and Eve there's an act of atonement the death of another to cover the humans another killed to cover them because of their sin in genesis 3 we have the first glimpse of the gospel another died to cover humans this glimpse points us to the greater one who would die to cover our sin and this greater one who would die is the head crusher the King, Jesus Christ. Jesus dying on the cross with Satan bruising his heel. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose as victor over sin and death. And, in it, and it's now. This is it. We have to believe this. You have to respond personally to this reality. It is now the blood of Jesus that covers us rebel sinners and makes a way for a broken people to walk in relationship with a holy God. This is the beauty of the good news of God in Christ. Romans 5 says, for if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What will you do with this? And so if you're here today and you're not sure of where you stand in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to ask you three questions and I want to call you to a response. Here are the three questions. First question. After being confronted with a teaching in the Bible on sin today, do you agree that you have sinned? That you've rebelled and gone your own way against and away from the God who made you and loves you? The second thing I want to ask you is do you see that this this sin is what has led to every human being who ever lives to have to confront the reality that death is inevitable. You will die. And you don't know when. You're not guaranteed to get to the other side of the intersection of Wurstville and 31. It's not a preacher-scare tactic. It's just a reality to the life we live in this world. And so the third thing in light of that I want to ask you is, do you see that Jesus bled and died for your sins and to give you a way to get right with God again? Now the balls in your court, presented with these truths from the word of God, what will your response be? Will you pray in your seat right now and ask Jesus to come save you from your sin and give you new life? Will you pray and confess that you're a sinner and will you declare your need for him right now as your savior? Today's the day. Today's the day. You can't wait anymore so here's what I want to do. Everyone bow, everyone bow your heads right now. We're preparing our hearts. Believers in the room, we're preparing our hearts for communion in a few moments. But as you bow your head right now, I just want to ask, is there anyone in this room today who you're like, I walked in here and I was not a Christian. I didn't know where I stood with Jesus. Today is the day I must entrust my life to him. Will you just raise your hand if you're saying today is the day I need to trust Christ? We you just put your hand in the air? Today is the day you've trusted Christ I want to invite you just with your head bowed I want to invite you down the hall after uh, to our step one and I just want to invite you to be bold and say hey I trusted Christ today I'm ready to talk to someone about what in the world this means if you walk out the doors and you don't do that I just invite you uh, email info at redeemerbible.church and just say I trusted Christ today um, and we'll follow up with what's next for you to all the believers in the room those who are Jesus followers We're preparing our hearts for communion right now. And in in light of a message like this, here's what I'd ask in this time. Would you confess? What have you grown too comfortable with? If there's sin in your life, come out with it. Confess it. The Lord sees. We're like two-year-olds playing hide-and-seek. He sees. He knows. Confess it. Call it what God calls it right now. And repent of it. Genesis 3 must sober us. It must make us abhor sin more and long to run to more of Christ's holiness. Just say, I'm done, God, I'm done. Change my mind on it, change my way on it. I'm running, and I'm gonna get people alongside of me to help me run in that direction. And then in this time, would you rejoice in God's grace? Before we take the elements in a few moments, would you just spend some time rejoicing in the grace offered to us in Christ? I'll be back in a moment to lead us through the taking.